I used to work as a park ranger at a well-known, frequently visited national park. At this particular national park, there was an old ghost story that the veteran rangers used to tell about one of our number who heard a noise coming from a lake one day. The noise had apparently sounded like a puppy yelping and splashing, but the ranger who heard it couldn't swim and wasn't about to put himself in danger of drowning just to save a dog. The next day, the body of a young child washed up on the shore. It was never a dog out there. It was a child that had fallen in the lake after being out there exploring unsupervised. The ranger was devastated. His spirit crushed that his selfishness had resulted in the death of an innocent child. He was haunted by the thought, took to drinking, wore himself down, until one night, while sleeping in his cabin, he heard a familiar noise coming from the lake. It was the sound of a little boy crying out to be rescued. He ran to the lakeside, dived into the water, and struggled his way into the center of the body of water until he reached the site of the splashing. But there... He only saw the smiling, bloated corpse of that same little boy who dragged him beneath the lake and drowned him, just as he had. That's the way the story went, and to be honest, I thought it was the biggest load of bull I'd ever heard in my life. I told the crusty old-timers that same thing, that I'd have to be of diminished capacity to believe a crock of bullcrap like that. But instead of laughing, or whatever, like okay, maybe this guy isn't as dumb as we first thought... They got all pissy about it. They told me not to disrespect the angry spirits of the departed, but then it was my turn to laugh. I could tell the difference between them getting annoyed over me disrespecting the dead or whatever, and them getting annoyed over me just disrespecting their dumb stories. The following week, I found I'd had my shift pattern switched to nights. I confronted them about it told them I was not impressed that they were that immature as to switch my shifts up, but they insisted that it was only cover for a guy whose mom had taken ill and had been forced to drive back to his home state in order to care for her. I didn't believe a word of it, and I was just straight up angry at that point, angry that a pair of grown-ass men would lie about something like, basically just to gaslight me, but I didn't want to show them how frustrated I was. I'd just take their crap on the chin, so to speak, and not give them the satisfaction. So, the first night I'm there in the lakeside cabin, I'm settling in to prepare for a long night of utter boredom, brewing coffee and playing dumb mobile games, when I hear something from outside the cabin. I put down my phone, get up, and walk over to the door to open it up so I can listen out for what it is. But I recognize it instantly. It's the sound of splashing, coupled with the sound of a child crying out for help between spluttered breaths. I remember shouting out into the darkness, Think you can scare me with your dumb stories? Well, I didn't believe them then, and I don't believe you now. Try it, someone with an IQ as low as yours. This was obviously their little game playing out, their attempt to scare me into submission and believing their backward-ass ghost story. But I wasn't about to let that happen. I went back inside, slamming the door shut and jamming my AirPods in on full volume to block the noise out. They were selfish, vindictive bastards. That's what I told myself anyway. But apparently not determined enough to keep playing that sound from whatever speaker system they'd set up around the cabin. Because when I paused by music like 20 minutes later, the noise was gone and all was quiet again. 
The next morning, just after sunrise, I pack up my stuff and prepare to leave the cabin. I was so exhausted and irritated by the prank they pulled, I wasn't prepared to wait for them to arrive. I figured if I did, I'd be so angry at seeing them that I might have knocked some of their goddamn teeth out. That would get me fired, and I simply could not afford that, not with the economy in the state, that it was. But as I'm walking to my truck, something catches my eye from the lakeside. Something small and sodden that the gentle waves of the lake lapped against. I turned to look and saw what it was, and when I did, I dropped my bag in pure horror and disbelief at what I was staring at. It was the body of a child, face down in the dirt. I pulled out my phone, dialed 911, and basically screamed at the operator for an ambulance to get out to the place I was based at. They had to send a helicopter in the end, but before it showed up, the two crusty old rangers rolled up in their truck, and their G-damn eyeballs almost fell out of their head when they saw me trying to perform CPR on the dead kid. I tried, and I tried, and I tried, but he was gone. Long gone. And it was all my goddamn fault. I ended up word, vomiting about what had happened the night before, telling them everything, how I'd thought the whole thing was part of a prank, part of the punishment for not believing their goddamn story. They claimed to have no idea what I was talking about, which angered me even more. But when they asked me why I didn't help the kid, I flipped. I rushed one of the older guys, tackled him, and beat the living hell out of him before I was dragged off and talked me back down to earth. But I couldn't ever really calm down, not until the chopper arrived and put that kid's body on a stretcher. The paramedics seemed furious. There was no one to save. I remember one of them explicitly shouting over the din of the rotor blades that the kid's been dead for hours. When they took off and I drove back home to go on indefinite paid leave... I thought that might have been the end of it, and that I'd have the time and space to get over what had happened. But I didn't have time. Someone leaked information on what had happened. I don't know if it was the old-timer I decked, the other ranger, or the paramedics. But somehow, someone got a hold of my contact details, and the threatening calls began. I'll never forget the night my girlfriend answered the phone in our apartment, saying hello in that happy, chirpy way she always used to. I watched as her face went from all smiley to neutral to downright horrified. Who is this? Hey, who the hell is this? Call here again, and I'm calling the cops. It was the first of many death threats, the first of many, many calls, handwritten letters and emails that told me I was an awful person, that I didn't deserve to live, that I was dead to the world the night I let that poor, innocent young boy drown in that lake. When his lungs filled with water and the death spasms racked body, he wasn't the only one to die. I died too. Needless to say, she wasn't my girlfriend for much longer, and I don't even blame her. There aren't many people who could handle that kind of abuse, and I only got through it myself by the skin of my teeth. And so that led me to where I am today. I live alone, in a state far, far away from the national park where I allowed a child to drown. I legally changed my name, changed my entire look so no one from my old life would be able to recognize me. I went through an intense period of transformation. The old me is a ghost as good as dead, dust in the wind, and no one will ever find me. No one. I am a highway, a Native American, born and raised in a small village deep in the forest. 
I've always been at home in the woods, but I never imagined that one day I would be fighting for my life against an unknown creature. It happened on a dark and stormy night. I had been out hunting for food when I heard a strange noise. At first I thought it was just the wind, but then I saw it, a creature unlike anything I had ever seen before. It was large and hulking, with eyes that glowed in the darkness. It moved with an eerie grace, and I knew instinctively that it was not something I wanted to mess with. But before I could even think of what to do, the creature attacked me. It came at me with a fury, its claws slashing through the air. I fought back as best I could, using my bow and arrows to try and fend it off. But it was no use. The creature was too powerful, and it overpowered me easily. Just as I thought it was all over for me, the creature suddenly stopped attacking. It looked at me with its glowing eyes, and then it simply disappeared into the darkness. I was left lying on the forest floor, shaken and confused. What was that creature? And why had it attacked me? And why had it suddenly stopped just as it seemed like it was about to finish me off? For weeks after the attack, I searched the forest for any sign of the creature, but I found nothing. It was as if it had never existed in the first place, but I knew that I had not imagined it. The wounds on my body were proof enough that something had attacked me that night. Years passed, and I continued to live in the forest, always on the lookout for any sign of the creature that had nearly killed me. But it never appeared again, and I was left with nothing but my confusion and fear. To this day... I still wonder what that creature was, and why it had attacked me. Was it simply defending its territory, or was there something more sinister at play? I may never know the truth, but I will always remember that dark and stormy night, and the creature that left me shaken and confused. My two friends and I were deer and elk hunting. I had been hunting alone for deer while my friends went after elk. At the end of the second day, we had decided to all hunt together and go after a small hunt together and go after a small herd of elk that they had been pushing around. The general area consists of a large meadow approximately one one-half miles long times three-fourth miles wide. It is surrounded by mountains, approximately, 500 feet higher than the meadow floor. We were to hunt the west end of the meadow and up into the mountains. Upon reaching our spot, we located the elk, feeding through a small field to the south and about halfway up. Friend one was going to head straight up and cut southeast through the field. Brandon and I headed southeast from the beginning, but stayed low. Upon reaching the east side of the field, we headed straight up and waited for friend one to push the elk to us. Brandon set up about 100 yards above me on the trail. After about twenty minutes of waiting, I heard a call coming from the west side of the field. I assumed this was friend one making his way to us. To me, it sounded like the type of call an animal makes when it is alarmed. This really bugged me. It was not the soft, reassuring cow call that I thought he should be making. The sound was very rhythmic. You could have played a tune to it. This was also very annoying. I thought you were overcalling. Shut up already! Just about this time, Brandon lets out a couple of bugles, so I figured that he had friend one in sight. The call came into the field and then abruptly turned south up the hill and then turned east again. It called the entire time. It would have gone almost exactly in 
between Brandon and myself if it kept the same course. I was glassing the field, trying to see friend one, but I saw nothing. I know that I was looking directly at where the call was coming from, but there was nothing to see. This probably took about ten to fifteen minutes. Then the call stopped. I figured Brandon and friend one had met up on the trail, so I started to head down as it was getting pretty dark at this time. About twenty yards down, I heard a sound behind me. It was Brandon coming down. I stopped and waited. I asked him where friend one was. He said that he had not seen him, but that the elk were now on their way to the next county. Then I asked him if he had heard the call come across the field. He said no. I started to explain the sound when it started up again. Now it was across the trail to the east. It must have waited for Brandon to pass, then crossed. I shut up real quick so he could hear it. But it stopped again, then it started again. But this time it was quite a ways away. He thought he had heard it, but could not be sure. I jokingly said something about the stick Indians trying to lure us off in the woods. I have never heard a call like this in the woods before. Never. It was fairly low in tone like an owl, but it had a real hollow sound to it. It reminded me of those blow-pop whistles that you had when you were a kid only stressed or alarmed. That is the only way I can explain it. We started walking back to the truck. About halfway there we noticed that friend one was already there. We could see the interior lights on. We asked him how the push went and if he had seen the elk. He said no. Then I asked him if he had heard the call in the field. He said no, and that he hadn't even made it to the field before coming down. Brandon and I left it at that. It is important for me to stress that at no time did I feel in danger. Remember that for most of this time, I'm assuming that it is my friend messing up our evening hunt. A few days later, I called up Brandon and asked him if we could go back in there. I told him I thought there was a good chance of Bigfoot being in that area. He said that was funny because he had gone back in there to hunt those elk again and something strange happened to him. He was back in the field, only at the top this time. He was planning to cut it straight down the middle. As he started in, he heard a sound that he described as someone taking a baseball bat and smacking it as hard as possible against a tree. He thought it was a woodpecker at first, but it was too loud, and like the call, it was rhythmic and too slow for a woodpecker. Deer or elk antlers were out of the question. As he continued further into the field, it suddenly got faster. The sound was coming from some dense forest to the east of him. At this point, he stopped, turned and exited the field choosing to hunt on a course that would take him back to his truck. On the way, he entered a smaller field which was covered with mole hills. In one of these, he found a track. It was not much longer than his, but it was easily three or so inches wider. Brandon wears an eleven. He got pictures and said that it would have been castable. He said it could have been a bear track, but was not entirely sure. He then went on to tell me that the elk we had pushed the other day had acted real strange. He didn't think much of it until now. When he had got above me on the trail, he saw the elk below headed down the field towards the place where friend one should have been. They suddenly stopped, did a ninety turn, and ran back up the hill. The elk had been calmly walking. This is when he tried calling to stop them. I've listened to the calls on your site. None of them match exactly. The Sonomish calls are very close, but this was deeper. Your calls are intermittent. The sounds I heard were as steady as a drumbeat. 
First, my friend Mike and I, along with two girls, were at the city park and heard it from Bellow from the hill behind us. Three days later, we went back again, and this time I saw it. I thought it was a tall pole, but it looked to be wavering in the breeze that was blowing. I called Mike over to look, but it wasn't there. Then it caught my eye. We saw it walking up the hill where we had heard it earlier. My second sighting was at our family farm, three miles away from the first sighting. I and my friend Bill rode out to the farm that evening to check on things since nobody lived in the house there. As we turned into the driveway, the headlights swung, and there it stood, stepping over a five-strand barbed wire fence. It had its hands on the top wire and was swinging its leg over. Its eyes glowed in the light like an animal's. We left in a hurry. I was target shooting. I had set up my targets and was just getting ready to begin my first string. A sudden, high-pitched warbling sound began nearby. I had my earmuffs on to protect my ears from the rifle blast, but lesser noises could still come through. When I first heard the noise, I thought it was an elk, but thought to myself that it was the wrong season for elk to be bugling. I turned in the direction of the sound and saw a large, hairy, erect, humanoid figure standing on the other side of the road, about eighty feet away. I was immediately shocked at the sight, but I knew it meant me no harm. It could have easily slipped up behind me and wrung my neck before I even knew it was there. I couldn't understand why it just stood there looking at me. As I began to change my position, it called out again with a shorter and less intense squeal. I saw no exterior sexual organs probably because I spent the entire time looking at the face, wondering what was going to happen. I think it was a male, though, because it acted male. I could easily be wrong. It stood there, looking at me for about thirty seconds, I think, before it turned and stepped into the brush. Afterwards, I had to let my nerves settle down for a while before I could even attempt to shoot. I kept looking at the spot. I had seen it and tried to estimate how big it had been, as nearly as I can figure or guess, it was about seven, one-half feet tall, covered with long, dark brown hair except for a few white hairs across the shoulders, similar to gorillas and some older men. The arms seemed too long, extending almost to the knees. It made no noise as it entered the brush, passing through the foliage as quietly as if it were a ghost. 